So Ecclesiastes 9, uh, verses 11 to 16 today, titled the message, Keeping It Together When Everything Falls Apart. We have a, a number of expressions in the human language uh, that, uh, well, to quote something from Wikipedia, it says these are expressions that are simple existential observations that life is full of unfortunate, unpredictable events. Did you get all that? Here are some different examples. You're planning something. Everything goes completely off wire. And you just say, you throw up your hands. It's just one of those things. It's just one of those things. We might say, accidents happen. If you say accidents happen, does that mean you don't believe in the sovereignty of God? What's wrong with you? It happens to the best of us. Nobody's perfect. The best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. That means wrong or they amiss. One of my favorite ones is a diabetic. That's the way the cookie crumbles. The French say, c'est la vie, which means that's life. That's all, just how things go. Everything just fell apart. And there's a law that describes all this. It's called Murphy's Law. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong at the worst possible time. I'm sad that John is not here with us today because he, he kind of chuckles at that Murphy's Law. He has what he calls a positive Murphy field. Whenever he's around, everything works right. You almost want to keep him around as kind of a lucky charm or something like that, don't you? Well, what do, how should we respond? We need to learn from this passage, uh, keeping it together when everything falls apart. And so at the top of your sheet there, the main idea, what this passage teaches is that you need Christ's wisdom. You need Christ's wisdom because you live in an unpredictable, sin-cursed world. Verses 11 to 12. We live in an unpredictable world. Verse 11. I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill, but time and chance happen to them all. First, we see in verse 11 that unpredictable things happen all the time to everyone. Unpredictable things happen all the time to everyone. And he gives a bunch of examples here. When you have the fastest runner, what do you expect? And what do you predict about who will run the race? The fastest runner. When you have the strongest individual to fight a battle or uh, an actual fight, I mean, compare me with my two sons, just physically. 53, almost 54, with these guns compared to 20s with, whoa. Who would you expect to win that battle? If you were a betting person, which I hope you're not, who would you put your money on? A third example he gives, bread to the wise, uh, 
and so on. You expect the wisest, the smartest, those who have the most knowledge to be able to get the most financially, to provide uh, the best for their life. And then he says, in favor to men of skill. The idea of this is the best will have the greatest popularity. If you went to uh, a formal school setting, whether it's a public school or a Christian school, who was the popular crowd? The best looking, the ones who had the most money, uh, things of that nature. I was never, I was always this kind of middle class and I was happy to be there. Um, the popular, they had all the people around them and it was, that's just what it was. Um, the best had the greatest popularity. And so all things being equal, there's another phrase, all things being equal, you expect the fastest to win the race, the strongest to win the battle, and so on. But then Solomon says at the end of the verse, time and chance happen to them all. Time and chance happen to them all. This word happen is used several times in the Old Testament. I'll give you some examples. I'll give you the scripture and then kind of a, a 21st century application of that. The first is Exodus chapter 23, verse 4. Exodus chapter 23, verse 4. I am thankful I have good relationships with all my neighbors. But have you ever had a bad neighbor that's difficult to live by? You have a circumstance where your, your ornery, bad neighbor, no matter what you do, they hate you and, and they make your life miserable. Their cat wanders into your, not only into your yard, but they come into your house. What should you do? What's God's will? Exodus 23, 4 says, bring it back to your neighbor. Take care of it. Feed it you might want to do something a little bit more malicious to that cat because the word that's used there is, now, now cat is not used there, it's like bull or your ox. If it happens to come into your area. A second example, 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 5. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 5. Saul was on his way, and he happened to come in contact with some prophets of the Lord. So he wasn't expecting that. You go to a store, and you just happen to run into someone that you were not expecting to see. That's the idea there. A third passage, Amos chapter 5, verse 19. Amos chapter 5, verse 19. And a contemporary, present-day example, illustration of this, to put it in our own words, is you got out of one bad situation only to end up in a worse one. We have an expression for that. You jumped out of the frying pan into the fire. And there in Amos 5, it says, you got out of a trap and then you happened to fall in, into a worse situation there. The idea of this, time and chance happen to them all, is it happens to the best of us. The fastest, the strongest, the wisest, the most popular. It happens to the best of us. This is Murphy's Law, as it were. Everyone is exposed to, quote, misfortune. And we want to lather it all up with God's sovereignty and all that. We're looking at it from our perspective, okay? You can't predict those times. 
You might be the, 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 the fastest, the strongest, the smartest. You cannot predict what is going to happen, even though you have all those things. You don't have control over the situation. You might think you do, but you do not have control over the situation. Unpredictable things happen all the time. Verse 11 to everyone. Verse 12. Man also does not know his time like fish taken in a cruel net, like birds caught in a snare. So the sons of men are snared in an evil time when it falls suddenly upon them. We see here, number two, death is sudden and unpredictable. Death is sudden and unpredictable. When he talks about the sons of men, that's just a a Hebrew way of talking about human beings. This is a, a Hebrew expression. A son of means you have all the characteristics and qualities. That's what that's referring to. People, human beings, are caught in these situations. It happens suddenly. And it's un unexpected and unpredictable. He does not know his time. Those disastrous effects that can happen. And time and chance is referring to his death. He gives some illustrations. Fish taken in a cruel net. Birds caught in a snare. So let's step back. Let's look at these illustrations. You see that fish happily swimming along It's just enjoying the water, making his way through there. He's loving life, only to be suddenly and unexpectedly caught in Kim's net, the fisherwoman. Birds, sweetly singing. Aren't birds pleasant to listen to? They're chirping and swinging and all that. They're flying along and just kind of watch them. And they're going through there only to be suddenly and unexpectedly brought down by the shotgun or a snare, as it said here. What did that poor bird do to you? Cruelly took its life. One moment... They're merrily going along. (laughs) And the next moment, their dinner. They had no idea what was coming. We've all read books or maybe watched a TV show or something like that. We see a character or we read about the character. They're walking along. And we see the danger coming up, don't we? Have you ever done this to your book or the television and say, Don't go! Can't you see it? Wait! And they go ahead and you're like, Yeah! What's wrong with you people? I saw that. And that's the point, isn't it? We're on the outside, we see the big picture. They're walking along, going through life, and then all of a sudden, it catches them just like that. So it is 
with human life. That's his point in verse 12. Death comes suddenly, unpredictably, and unexpectedly. Let's get some human life illustrations. First, I'll begin one in human history. There were some uh, engineers and builders who built a ship. They believed this ship is the strongest ship. They even said it's unsinkable. And what happened to the Titanic on its maiden voyage? Hit a little piece of ice. And now it's at the bottom of the ocean. We can leave those, that, uh, the actual human example, and we can consider other similar circumstances in life when death comes suddenly, unpredictably, and unexpectedly. You have a couple. They work hard through their decades of life together. They scrimp, they save for retirement, they finally get to that point, and after only being retired for just a bit, one or both of them dies. That's not what they were expecting, wasn't it? They thought they would have decades to come yet. A young person. I think we've all had this experience. This happened a couple times when I went to high school. A young person with their, how do we say it, their whole life, in front of them, dies in a car accident. They died before their time, we sometimes say. You have an engaged couple. And what are engaged couples like? Oh, I love you. I love you too. I just can't wait. They're completely blinded by their love. But we've known instances days before the wedding when one of them dies. They were not expecting that, were they? Sudden. Brand new parents have a new baby. They enjoy that baby. They love that baby. Even though the baby wakes them up several times in the night to be fed, they change the diaper, they feed the baby, but then they wake up one morning. They're startled. The baby didn't cry. And they go to the crib. And the baby's died. Suddenly and unexpectedly. You have soldiers, sailors, airmen get all kinds of training so that they can effectively engage in war. And then they die in an accident. You might say, well, yeah, these are illustrations and definite occurrences of death being sudden and unexpected and unpredictable. But what about, you might say in your smart aleckness, what about that old person? They are on their deathbed. What about that person who is dying of cancer? Hospice is called in. The principle holds true. Do you know the exact day 
do you know the exact time when they will die? How often have they... Boy, he's hung on later than we thought. He's really fighting that cancer. No, he's not. Who can fight death and win? It's impossible. It's as if we're saying they have something to do with the length of their life. Write down Psalm 139, verse 16. Psalm 139, verse 16. God knows and has set the day and time of your death. In Psalm 139, verse 16, it says, In your book, the days of my life are written, the days fashioned for me. But from our perspective, death is unpredictable. It is unknown. Remember, like last week, Solomon is not teaching doctrine here. He's describing it from a human perspective. And from a human perspective, what kind of a world do we live in? An unpredictable world. From a human perspective, that's what he said. Verse 11, I returned and saw under the sun. From a human perspective, we live in an unpredictable world where these unpredictable things happen to everyone and death is sudden and unpredictable. So does this mean it doesn't matter how you live? Is that what this means? In light of these unfortunate experiences here, is there any advantage to being wise? I mean, we're going to die anyway. So why bother being wise when you're living in death's shadow? doesn't make any real difference. Even in this crowd here, we have people at different places in life. I guarantee you, if I were to ask by raise of hands, how many of you have been thinking about death? Maybe not many hands would go up, but I guarantee you, the most hands that would go up would be those who are probably over 50. Teenagers are not going to raise their hands. 20-year-olds are not going to raise their hands. What are teenagers and 20-year-olds thinking about? Fun, excitement, getting married, jobs, winning a race, fighting a battle, being popular. That's what they think about, don't they? But does anyone know the time of their death? Can it be predicted? Does it make a difference how you live? Does it matter? When you're in death's shadow? Solomon says, yes, it does. In verses 13 to 16, number two, he says, wisdom is essential in an unpredictable world. And he gives an example of that in verses 13 to 15. First, look at me at verse 13, kind of an introductory statement. This wisdom I have also seen under the sun, and it seemed great to me. An example of this wisdom. Let me put what he said there in, uh, well, in modern parlance, in a modern way. Solomon says here, I have a stupendous, wonderful, really terrific. Everyone agrees that this is a great example of the importance of wisdom for you. You can tell I had fun with that one. Here's this example of wisdom, verses 14 and 15. There was a little city, verse 14, with few men in it. 
a great king came against it, besieged it, and built great snares around it. Now, there was found in it a poor wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. What's the situation that we read about here in verse 13? You have a small city with few to defend it. Orwell. Then you have the biggest, strongest, most well-funded nation come and fight against it. Who would you expect to win battles? The small little city-state or the biggest nation in the world? You'd expect the biggest nation in the world. They've got the money. They've got the manpower. They've got the, the war machines. They've got all that stuff. Look how he words it here. A great king came against a little city with few men. They besieged it. They had their way with it. Like a, a cat with a mouse playing around. And they built great snares around it. What's the expectation? This is going to be a lopsided battle. This is not going to be fun to watch. They no, have no chance. They're outmanned. They're outgunned. Right now, the internet said it, so it's true. The most militarily strong nation in the, the world is still the United States of America. Closely behind is China and Russia, number two. But I think Russia's kind of gotten, a, they've lost a lot of stuff last year. What's the smallest army in the world? It's the Vatican State, the Holy See, where the Pope lives. That, that little part of Rome, it's its own country. They have 110 in their army. Army. Just 110 soldiers. They have to be Swiss. They have to be at least, I think it's five foot seven inches tall. Surprise, they need to be Catholic. And up until recently, they needed to be single and celibate. They changed that one. You have the army of the Vatican State with 110 versus the United States of America. Who's going to win that war? Who's going to win that battle? That's a laugh, isn't it? It's a joke. We're not really serious here, are we? I mean, they're just going to, America's going to take their little pinky and just kind of squish them like a buck. But how did things turn out? How did things turn out? Verse 15, there was found in that small little city with few men, a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. An unexpected source. Look at the wording here. How many men? One man. And that's in contrast to whom? This great army with thousands and thousands and thousands of men. What else do we read? He's a poor man. And that's in contrast with the attackers who had billions and billions of tax dollars at their available to them. He is also a common man. And that is in contrast to verse 13, or sorry, verse 14, when it was a great king came against them. But one last thing in which there is no parallel, this last little, this one poor 
common man. He was wise. He was wise. That is what sets him apart. He had the skill to correctly take knowledge and apply it to a situation. And that single, poor, wise man, are you ready? Unexpectedly, unpredictably won the battle. That's what he did. A similar example or a possible example of this that happened in Scripture would be 2 Samuel chapter 20 and verses 15 to 22. 2 Samuel chapter 20, verses 15 to 22. Joab was David's general, and he was after a, a recent uh, rebel. And so he besieged that little city there, Abel and Beth Ma'akah. And then it says there that a wise woman in that city uh, saved the entire city. She said, hold on, Joab, what do you need? We need this one guy. This wise woman talked to the people. Do you remember what happened? They cut off his head and threw it over the wall and the city was saved. They didn't win by military battle. They won by wisdom. Size means nothing if you can't move effectively. Finances mean nothing if you don't use them wisely. Rabbit trail warning. I wish our government would get this in their head. What's their solution more often than not to problems? Throw money at it. Raise taxes. It never solves problems if it's not used wisely. Strength means nothing if it's not controlled and properly directed. The great weapons of war mean nothing if they are incorrectly used, if they're not aimed right. You can have this great big gun and say, yeah, look at this. But if you don't aim it, it's not going to hit the what? It's not going to hit the target. But there's another unexpected aspect to this story, and that's at the end of verse 15. Yet no one remembered that poor man. Onyx, and we'll finish, verse 16. Then I said, wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. Unfortunately for the wise man, even though he delivered this city, he's forgotten. And I think what's also wrapped up in that word he was not remembered is he was not rewarded. They took the benefit, but they didn't do anything for him. Unrewarded, unremembered. It says in verse 16, he was despised. They did this to their hero. And they didn't listen to him anymore. His words are not heard. He didn't get any moments, monuments, sorry. He didn't get any monuments. He didn't have any national holidays declared for him. He didn't even get his own stamp. You know, they do that sometimes for people who are famous, get a commemorative stamp. He didn't even get that. Completely forgotten, gone. This, this is an illustration of what we've been looking at. This is life and a sin cursed 
world. And Solomon says, second, that wisdom in a sin-cursed world is greater than strength. Wisdom is better than strength. I'll give you some other passages that teach this. We have Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 11 and 12. Wisdom gives life to those who have it. Chapter 9, verse 18, that we'll look at next week. Wisdom is better than weapons of war. Two from Proverbs. Proverbs 21, 22. A wise man scales the city of the mighty and brings down the trusted stronghold. And the last one, chapter 20, Proverbs 24, verses 5 and 6. A wise man is strong. Yes, a wise man of knowledge increases strength. By wise counsel, you will wage your war, and in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. Given life's unpredictability, you need Christ's wisdom. You don't know what's going to happen. And it is better to be wise than to have speed and strength and money and all that popularity. Because you don't know how things are going to turn out. But who does? The Lord Jesus Christ does. And you need his wisdom. His wisdom. Given life's unpredictability. And then Solomon gives us a reminder here at the rest of verse 16. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. And so we need to recognize that those who despise wisdom, they are foolish. Who hate? Who is it that hates wisdom? It's fools. Fools hate wisdom. And so he's telling you, keep the big picture in view. Fools are unbelievers. And what do unbelievers rely on? Speed, strength, money, and looks. That's what they rely on. But what about the believer? The believer relies on knowing the Lord. This is Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Don't boast in those things, the speed, the strength, the looks, and the money. Boast in this that you know me. I am the Lord. That's what you need to always keep in mind. This not only happened to this hypothetical story here, and some say it was an actual story. We don't know. Solomon puts it as an example, as an illustration. This happened in Jesus' life. This happened with Jesus' life. Mark chapter 6, verses 2 and 3. Mark chapter 6, verses 2 and 3. Jesus is in the synagogue in Nazareth. When the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished and said, Where did this man get these things? What wisdom, hear this, what wisdom is this? And which is given to him? that such mighty works are performed by his hands. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, brother James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. Who did they have standing right in their midst? They had wisdom incarnate. But did they believe it? They wouldn't. He did great works, but they wouldn't believe it. He's just an ordinary man. They didn't recognize him they didn't remember him they didn't honor him and that's what unbelievers will do with christ's wisdom 
You could write down some exam- scripture examples. 1 Corinthians 1. What do unbelievers think about the wisdom of the gospel? It's foolishness to them. Or 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 4, about godly living, Christ-like living. There you'll read how unbelievers will make fun of you. They'll mock you that you don't continue running in that same uh, commitment to drunkenness and immorality and dissipation. They think you're a nut. Or how to build a church, 1 Corinthians chapters 2 and 4. You need to make it attractive. You need to womp it up. Don't teach on this. Talk about this. Don't proclaim this. Share this. But Paul says, we do not change the gospel to make people feel happy. We give it clearly and, 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 and right. What about marriage? Well, just do whatever seems best to you. To however many, or if you don't want to at all, whatever you seems best to you. Or parenting. We need diversity training or socialization. That's what kids need. They don't need the Bible. But Ephesians 6, 4 is, says, train them up in the nurture and admonition, the discipline of the Lord. Christian, remember, remember that unbelievers, they will welcome the benefits of God's wisdom, the, the, the benefits, the things that come from it, but they will never surrender. They will never wholly believe. They're only thinking about their immediate life. That's what happened with this little nation there. They welcomed the benefits that they got from this poor wise man, but they completely forgot everything else. That's what they will do. To Christianity, we want the benefits from it, but we don't want the one that they come from, the Lord Jesus Christ. They despise God's wisdom. They pick and choose what they want to accept and believe. Despite what the world says, you must wholly and entirely receive all of Christ's wisdom. How should you live in a world where things often fall apart. How do you keep it together? You need Christ's wisdom. How do you get that? How do you gain Christ's wisdom? First, you need to be born again. You need to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're a Christian, how do you gain that wisdom? Because it doesn't just, you know, you're not just zapped with it at the moment of salvation. How do you get that? Well, Let's stop back. Let's step back a minute. How does someone get fast enough to run and win a race? How does someone get strong enough to beat me in a fight? And you say, doesn't take much. And say, I agree with that. How does someone get enough knowledge and uh, wisdom to be really smart in business? It doesn't happen just because you want it. How does it happen? You have to work at it. You have to discipline yourself. And that means sacrifice. You say no to certain things so that you will gain this wisdom that you need 
right now? What things has the Lord provided so that you can get this wisdom? It's not something you just throw in a microwave and, or a stove and wait for it to finish cooking. What has the Lord given? He's given his word. You need to read it. You need to meditate and think on it. You need to memorize it. You need to cause this to control your mind. And he has given his church to help you learn that word. Teaching times like this. Worship in our singing teaches Christ's wisdom. Our fellowship with one another. When we talk with each other, we see how we live and how we respond. That teaches Christ's wisdom. Praying with each other. Praying for God to give that wisdom. Casting our cares on him is an expression of trust in the Lord. The Lord's Supper, all these things are God-given means to grow in the Lord. Don't depend on physical things, but on God's wisdom found in Jesus Christ. Because there are so many unpredictable things in life, it is foolish, it is unwise to depend on anything in this world. And remember the poor wise man. You're going to say no to a lot in life, a lot of things, a lot of experiences, a lot of fun stuff so that you can grow in Christ's wisdom. You need to remember the poor wise man as you do that. People are going to despise you just like they did with the poor wise man. They're not going to listen to you They'll say, you're off your rocker. They'll forget you and leave you in the dust and you're going to be seemingly all alone, but you won't be because you have a church body. But you're going to feel alone. You're going to feel outnumbered and you're going to feel outcomed. But you are never because you have not only your church body, but you have Christ with you. And as a little advertisement, this afternoon I'll be teaching about the fact that Christ is everywhere. And what does that mean for the believer? And that he is unchanging. He's immutable. These are truths that help us in our Christian lives. Seek, gain, work, strive to gain Christ's wisdom. Let's pray.